a survey had been done and there was a news report going about it. The survey was about what do you believe are the top problems facing the United States of America? As they were reporting on this, a re- uh, aspiring reporter decided to do man-on-the-street interviews. And so he was going up to people. He'd put the microphone in their face with the camera pointing. He'd say, what do you, sir or ma'am, believe are the top two problems facing America today? He happened to get sort of a younger person who sort of rolled their eyes and said, I don't know and I don't care. The reporter would be undaunted, and he looked right back in the camera, and he said, appears this young man believes the top two problems are ignorance and apathy. (laughs) As we think about what we're talking about this morning, that's the two problems that I want to work with you on, because I think, really, if you boil it down to any of the problems this country or any country will face has to do with ignorance and apathy. Uh, Today's kind of a special Sunday, and we're talking about living as free people. I think if it's very important as we think about our citizenship in this country and in the country to come, about our uh, history and who we are as United States citizens, uh, we do something today in the church in this country that around the world may not happen Uh, We have freedoms that many do not enjoy. There are so many parts of being a citizen of this country that we just take for granted. And I hope that uh, this sermon will encourage you and help you as we think about what our role is as citizens. Uh, I'm not sure what you do on the 4th, but our family has a a good old-fashioned boom fest, really. We will go to my in-laws out in rural America, and we will see how many explosions we can make and how much we can make the ground shake. That's the goal. Uh, if you haven't been slightly frightened and if you don't have your uh, insurance agent slightly nervous, then you haven't had a real good fourth. Uh, we'll be out there most of the afternoon. It's, uh, enjoy the uh, kids having you know smoke bombs and firecrackers and uh, Roman candles and all that good stuff. And then as it gets darker, we'll have the real good fireworks. It goes up in the air and just... Um, I hope you enjoy the 4th maybe like that. I hope maybe you get out the grill and grill some burgers and dogs and brats and whatever it is. Maybe chicken if you enjoy that sort of thing. Um, but I want you to understand that all those things, while they're wonderful traditions to have... Uh, There's more to the fourth than that. You see, everyone around the world celebrates or has a fourth of July, but not every country is so blessed to celebrate their independence. And so I would like to start by reading to you what I would call the original Brexit, uh, the 1776 version. 241 years ago, this Tuesday, 56 men mutually pledged to each other, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, to a declaration that began as follows. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to to assume among the powers of the earth which have connected them the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to that separation. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. People don't write like that anymore. People don't talk like that anymore. Even worse than that, people don't think like that anymore. As we think about that declaration which our fathers wrote and pledged nearly everything they had and owned and would pay dearly for that declaration, may as we celebrate the 4th not forget that it's not just a day, but it was an event. That that declaration which we celebrate in two days, let us remember to do three things. Number one, first... We got to remind the next generation. Some contend that ours never was a Christian nation. And that's sort of popular right now is to just bash on the supposedly Christian nation. And if someone says to you that the United States of America has never been a Christian nation, uh, you just smile, look at them like your grandmother would and say, oh, honey, it's not that you're ignorant. It's just that you know so much that just isn't so. Now, there's, I have a list here of 15 facts. These are irrefutable facts of our history that most people don't know. The truth is you can get on Google in about a quarter of a second and find 15,000 facts just like it. But we don't want to hear that, and we don't have many people saying that. So let me say it this morning. In 1776, 11 of 13 colonies required that one had to be a Christian to be eligible to run for political office. In the Constitutional Convention of 1787, Ben Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? The first president, George Washington, took the oath of office and put his hand on the Bible. And after being sworn in as president, his first official act was to kiss the Bible and then hold a public two-hour worship session In Congress, the first vice president and the second president, John Adams, wrote in 1798, he said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Every president takes his oath with his right hand on the Holy Bible and concludes that vow with, so help me God. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said, No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. In our nation's capital, capital, there are many, many descriptions and pictures. An image of Moses carrying the tablets of God faces the Speaker of the House of Representatives. The famous Liberty Bell has part of Leviticus 25.10, which says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof, inscribed upon it. Inscribed at the top of the Washington Monument, on the east face of the capstone, are the words Laos Deo, 
which is Latin for praise be to God. The Supreme Court, which begins each session with the phrase, God save the United States and this honorable court. President Abraham Lincoln, when he assumed the leadership over a nation on the brink of civil war, said these words. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power. To confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Woodrow Wilson said in 1911, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify the devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations revelations of Holy Scripture. On D-Day, June 6, 1944, as our troops began to head toward the beaches, Franklin Roosevelt prayed this over the national radio. Almighty God, with thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done. Almighty God. Amen. Dwight D. Eisenhower said, without God there would be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, most basic expression of Americanism. Thus, the founding, of the, Amer- the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be. And President Ronald Reagan said famously, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. I'm sad for the fact that there's so many people that don't know these facts. If you're interested in teaching these facts to your children, to your grandchildren, I have copies of these, or you can just get on Google and find them yourself. Isn't it sad that we don't have enough people talking about the history of our country anymore? We don't have enough teachers teaching it. Well, they say we can't bring religion into the classroom. You're not. You're bringing history into the classroom. We need more parents to be reminding the next generation of who we are. I'm fine with grilling burgers and dogs. I'm I'm wonderful with, with... all the fun and fireworks, but may we not ever forget who we are to be. Why is this important? Because a God-fearing nation is a blessing, according to Scripture. Psalm chapter 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. Now, of course, we understand the context. We're talking to Israel. But, but listen, they were going through a similar struggle that every nation goes through. At their beginning, as they're growing as a nation, as they're going through trials, the question to every nation and every leader of those nations is, who will you trust? Will you trust in God or will you try to trust in yourselves? It's very clear that ours is a nation that was birthed in Christianity by God-fearing men and women. But where we go from here... Well, that's in our hands. Now, I am not saying that our nation is perfect. You need to understand that we have had our troubles, but I cannot think of a nation that has done better when she relies fully on God. When she repents 
from her pulpits to her people, to her public officials, when there is true sincerity of the people to do what's right, to do what God calls us to do, God blesses. He always does. So what can we do? Well, first, I think it's very important that we remember to pray. Second Chronicles 7.14 said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Notice he didn't start off. This is in the context talking about the dedication of the temple. And God's revealing this in a vision to Solomon. And he's talking to as you as king. If you, want to, if you want to guide these people. And if you want these people to be godly. Here's what he calls them to do. Humble themselves and pray. I, I know that when you read the newspaper or scroll through Twitter. Or watch the evening news. You get very frustrated. You hear all the bad news and think it must all be come crashing down. And you think, what can we do? We need to come up with some hashtag and, and become Twitter activists. We need to we need to gather around. We need to have political rallies. We need to we need to do something. We need to vote. We need to. And those things are fine. But what God says, is the first thing you need to do is humble yourself and pray. And he goes on. He says, and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face it's not just about praying to god it's about turning it from the way, away from the evil that will hurt us and destroy us individually and as a nation and then he says then i will hear from heaven and i will forgive their sin and i will heal their land the same promise that god gave to solomon concerning israel i believe is the same promise this true for us or any nation on earth that our first responsibility is to pray it's a personal prayer life. In other words, don't expect of your leaders what you will not do yourself. If you say, man, I just don't like when I go to the ballot box. I just feel like all these people are liars and thieves. They have no integrity. They don't keep their word. Well, my question to you is, do you? Are you honest in your dealings? Do you have integrity? And that's where it starts. It starts in your house before it ever gets to the White House. Now, may we not only pray individually, but may we also pray for our leaders. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I hope you'll turn there. Paul says to his protege, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for rulers and for everyone who has authority over us. Pray for these people so that, listen, can have a quiet and peaceful life, always lived in a godly and reverent way. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. We're called not just to pray for ourselves and our uh, hearts, but also for the hearts of our leaders. Uh, in my opinion, it's the thing that exceeds the power of voting, is the power of prayer. This past election cycle... Uh, we had a special Sunday, which I called a prayer for America. And we talked in the morning about why it's important to do that. And then I called on the congregation to join us for a time of prayer. And I challenged the congregation not just to pray then, but to pray. And if they desired to or were able to, to fast for the next two days until Election Day. That evening was powerful. My only sadness was there was only about half of us there. 
Because we had put more faith in the ballot box than we did in our prayer. Now, for those of us who were there, this something pretty cool happened. Because we went, our shepherds led us in prayer, and it was so beautiful and pure and powerful. And afterward, our family went out with some others to, uh, to Brahms. As we were sitting there, we felt the shaking of a little earthquake. And I was reminded of a story in Acts chapter 4 where it said the, the apostles prayed, and after they prayed, the place where they were standing was shaken. And I was reminded again and again that there may be cracks in the foundation, God can always shake things up. God can always lead a nation. God can always raise up those he would call. May we not just reserve prayer for times of voting, but may we pray consistently every day. Let me put it more specifically. If you mock the president without making intercession for him, that's violating God's will. I'll give you another example. We've got a governor of our state. And to be honest, he's not a real popular guy. And I see people, Christians, grown adults, mind you, mocking our Governor Brownback. Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with him on everything, but, but my question so often is, I wonder if they've prayed for him. I wonder if they've lifted him up sincerely and reverently before the Father. You say, well, I don't, you know, this is getting political now. I don't know about this. I don't like these people. I didn't vote for these people. Uh, they, they, everything they believe is diametrically opposed to what I believe. Good. God said to pray for your enemies. We are called as a people to remove ourselves from this world. That's not to say to not be involved, to not vote. It's to say to appeal to a higher power. And God forgive you if you've ranted and raved on Facebook and Twitter about any of our public officials and you have not been to your knees in prayer for them. That is what we are called to do. And may God forgive us when we pridefully think that we are... More understanding than God. So let us not do that. May we pray for them sincerely at every level. National, state, local. That's our responsibility. I can't say that I've liked personally every single official that's ever been elected either. But that's not my call, is it? I do the best I can with my vote. And then I lift them up in prayer. That's who God has called us to be. Number three. Resolve to be a good citizen. I hope you open up to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is very clear about our responsibility as citizens. Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Everyone, 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 did you get that one? Everyone. Must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so, by the way, will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from those in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant. He's talking about government here. To do you good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of resistance today that is encouraged in the political life, and and you should understand quite clearly that that is not only unpatriotic; it, it's ungodly. God calls us to submit to those which He has put in power. Now, I know, you say, well, I, I didn't vote for them, or I don't agree with them, or my taxes are too high. I understand. But again, we're talking about our citizenship here. You need to understand that the, that the government that Paul was talking about <laughs> was, you think, you think our government is bad? You don't like our leaders? Paul would say, hold on a second, <laughs> let me talk to you. Let me talk to you from a prison cell about bad government. Let me talk to you about corruption. Let me talk to you about torture. Let me talk to you about those things. We, as Christians, and that's the key. I mean, the world's going to act like that. The world's going to be hashtag not my president. The world's going to be resist. The world's going to be, you know, all these terrible things. I'm speaking to Christians now. We need to understand Romans 13, that we have a a basic responsibility. And that's a simple thing like obeying the speed limit. That's big things like paying your taxes. I'm not saying we can't work on those things and be involved in politics and try to change those things. That's the wonderful thing about our country. We can if we don't like something. But as for the way things are, we have a responsibility to be good citizens. So may we do that. Regardless of who is president, regardless of who is governor, Regardless of who your congressman is or who's in the Senate, regardless of who's in charge, Jesus is on the throne. Christ is Lord, and his word is still true. May we be good citizens. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I hope that you can read this, because I need you to participate. I'd like you to read the yellow words for me. So you're going to have to start off for me. I know you're like, "Ah, I don't like what the preacher said. Okay, take it up with God because this is his word. Okay? All right, go ahead. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Submit. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. For is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slave. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the king. As Christ followers, we've got to respect the authorities. Pay our taxes, 
Pray for our leaders and obey the laws that they set up. Even if you don't like them, even if you didn't vote for them. And why do we do that? I said it's part of being a good citizen, but I'm not just talking about our citizenship in this country. I'm talking about our citizenship in the home to which we're going. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says very simply this. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have a responsibility to be both good citizens here as well as there. The only way that we can ever be true freely, to truly free, as individuals and as a people, is to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. If you're ready to be free from the power, the guilt, the shame of sin, this morning I want to call you to submit your life to him. Uh, by obeying him, by repenting of your sins, and by being buried in the waters of baptism, to begin to have free, a rebirth and to experience true freedom in Christ. I'm not sure if you have a need this morning, but if you do, I want to call you down front, and one of our shepherds or myself will be glad to meet you there. May we not forget to live as godly people, as together we stand and sing.